Hi, you're listening to Stefan Levera Podcast, a show about Bitcoin and Austrian economics brought to you by Swan Bitcoin. Today, we're exploring whether you should use single signature or multi-signature for your bigger hodling stack. Now, of course, for day-to-day spending or certain specific scenarios, you may not be thinking about multi-sig, but here we're talking more about your hodling. And my guest today is Anant Tapadia from BitHive, and they're the team behind HexaWallet and recently Keeper. This show is brought to you by Swan Bitcoin, the easy way to buy Bitcoin and also learn about Bitcoin. Are you looking to add Bitcoin to your corporate balance sheet? It's never been easier with Swan Bitcoin Treasury Solutions. With Swan Bitcoin Treasury, you can automate your Bitcoin investment, custody and management strategy, and you will get expert guidance every step along the way. Now, if you are operating a business and you have employees, consider Swan's Bitcoin Benefit Plan. So basically, you can pick an amount and give that to your employees. And this makes it easier for you to recruit, reward, retain top talent. Swan handles all the heavy lifting like creating wallets, converting currency, routing payments. And like magic, your employees receive Bitcoin and world-class financial education monthly as a benefit from you. So if you're interested, go to swan.com business. Build on L2 is a community for Bitcoin builders by Blockstream. This is an initiative and community-led effort by contributors and companies building on Core Lightning and the Liquid Network. It's an interactive community platform, so if you are a builder, whether you are a product manager, a designer, or an engineer, you can come together through events. There will be mentorship programs available to fast-track your success and also a community space to learn something new alongside other Bitcoiners building the future of Bitcoin Layer 2. Sign up now for early access on the platform. It's buildonl2.com. Are you still using a plain old block explorer? Mempool.space shows you the multi-layer ecosystem of Bitcoin. Mempool.space is a comprehensive Bitcoin explorer that covers this ecosystem from the mempool to the blockchain to second layer networks like the Lightning Network. With mempool.space, there's no need to trust a third party. It's free and open source. You can host it yourself with one click on various full node distributions. Now, if you are with an enterprise, remember mempool.space offers custom mempool instances. You can have your company's branding, increased API limits, and so much more. Go find out over at mempool.space slash enterprise. And now onto the show with Anant. Anant, welcome back to the show. Hey, Stephen. Thanks for having me again. So there's been a lot going on. I think the conversation around learning to self-custody is always an important one. It's always one that's very fresh on my mind as well. And so, you know, we're seeing a lot of discussion. And I think recently, of course, there was the news about Luke Dasher losing his coins. I think, I don't know exactly how many, but probably something in the, in the range of 200 Bitcoins. So, you know, a serious amount of coin. And so there's been a lot of people making some noise about this statement, right? They've been saying, oh... Look, even if uh, if a Bitcoin core developer couldn't secure his coins, then what hope does the average person have? Like they, they've been saying this kind of narrative. Of course, I disagree with that strongly. But uh, I wonder how how do you think about that? See, self custody. I wouldn't like to claim that self custody is uh, you know the mentally the easiest things to do. It is a new a new way to secure your stuff. So it is going to be there are going to be mental hurdles when people are trying to do it there are going to be new things that people have to learn and it does not come without self-responsibility, right? So no matter how us developers and builders want to make it easier, it doesn't come without learning and it doesn't come without self-responsibility. Having said that and having understood that this is a journey, even five years down the line, Stephen will be talking about self-custody and uh, why self-custody, you know, what other things can make self-custody more uh, 
more secure, like there may be a new vault proposal or maybe new opcode people are proposing. Um, so there will always be improvements in self-custody. Even the, you know, the, the mnemonic and the seed words that we use, that, that was not always there. So what I'm trying to say is that the self-custody is a journey. There is no perfect self-custody solution. And also self-custody solution is, is very personal, right? So uh, in case of specifically the incident you're talking about that is very, very specific and a very, very niche case. It's not going to, uh, it's, it doesn't really, it is more of a FUD. It doesn't really apply to, you know, normal users. No one is going to probably have like a custom security solution like he had, right? It's almost, uh, uh, it's almost a non-issue for regular hodlers but yes there is an aspect of people start questioning okay is their self-custody solution proper is it uh, is it you know there is something more than they can do about it and you know the whole conversation starts again and this is going to happen again and again but as you and me know um, and uh, what i've understood from that situation most of it was um, honestly um, it is more preferred because i don't know if there was even a cold storage really involved the way we, we term cold storage, air gap storage. So there are a lot of moving parts and um, it is a it is a developing story. We don't know all the details of it. So once we know all the details of it, probably there will be some learnings out of it. But we already know that, you know, you shouldn't roll your own self-custody. You shouldn't be uh, doing stuff that is very custom to yourself and it is not really something which people have used and tried and it's not tried and tested. So these are the few things which we can already draw out of that incident. So to the whole question around should people self-custody, what we end up having is a lot of conversation around what is the best way, right? We, people, we see people saying, oh, just, you know, multi-signature is too complex. People say things like you should only do single signature with a, maybe with a passphrase. That seems to be, if I had to assess, let's say, the meta on Bitcoin Twitter or on, in online discussion, that seems to be the meta. They say, oh, multi-sig, it's in the too hard basket for most people, obviously, I, I disagree again. I, I think it's more like, you know, if you're a beginner, you should use maybe a, a guided solution, like have a professional help you. And intermediates and advanced level people, you can learn. It's not that hard. Like, yes, you know, it's not that hard. That's how I'm seeing it. I'm curious how you see it, like single signature or multi-signature. See, we, uh, first of all, yeah, as you know, our history is, uh, we've been making the, uh, you know, Bitcoin products for a while and we come from a single sig world, um, Exa Wallet is a single six solution it uh, it has uh, all the aspects of a typical single six solution of what a wallet does and we can you know come to the deconstruction of the wallet which will probably really help some of the listeners but essentially we come from that space um so definitely a very neat solution for people who are just getting started or people who have you know um you know small amount of money obviously that is subjective but essentially you know not like uh, life savings or stuff like that but when it comes to something which you want to hold for long term right you don't want to hold it for six months and just trade it off and you want to uh and it is a significant amount of wealth multi-sig multi-sig solution is definitely something you should consider right consider it understand it and then probably you can still take a call that you know for me um a single six solution with a hardware wallet and passwords is enough that's that's a fair thing if you have a if you have um if you have a safe or if you have a place where you can keep your hardware wallet and you're 100 percent sure is that no one is going to ever touch it and uh, your heirs are going to automatically figure it out 
then probably you know that might be the solution for you so my message for uh, for a lot of people who i talk to so i talk to a lot of singles people and uh, while building keeper over the last one year i've been talking to a lot of people who are interested in multisig so i do know both sides um of the argument so my message for everyone who have significant wealth and want to hold it for long term is actually consider it properly and then take a call and uh, what i have seen is a lot of people who consider multisig properly right and look at a guided solution like a wizard and the way we have built keeper they actually come to appreciate multisig yeah and so i think what we see is a lot of discussion about the complexity the added complexity the backups aspect the dealing with let's say if you're trying to do it you know the right way or the hard the proper way with different hardware devices and so on i can understand there's a little bit of extra complexity but I think my thinking on this is guided more by my friend Michael Flaxman. I think he's coming from that. He's more of a in the multi-sig maxi camp. And I think his view is like it gives you fault tolerance, right? It gives you this extra level of security. You just need to know how to do the backup correctly. And you, you have to do certain things in the right way, in the basic way that you get these basics right. And then once you get those right, you are just so much more secure. So... That's how I'm seeing it. So if you were advising somebody and let's say this person is now an intermediate or an advanced level, you know, they're not a beginner anymore. They're quite comfortable with their single signature setup. Why should they consider multi-sig in your, in your view? See, I think you, you, um, you mentioned it uh, correctly is that the security guarantees of resiliency or tolerance that multi-sig offers you. You, you don't really get that by single sig. Okay, you can add passphrase to it. It adds a little bit of resilience in terms of attack vector, but it also adds another single point of failure. So it's not really, uh, people try to recreate the multisig using, you know, a combination of uh, passphrase and single sig and, you know, kind of keeping multiple copies of it. But essentially the, the real, um, the real optionality or the resiliency that multisig gives you that those security guarantees you cannot get with single sig right um, and some of the things people uh, see when you do single sig if you really break down single sig if you deconstruct what simply happens in a single sig then you would realize that actually uh, single sig the attack vectors or the or the places where you can get attacked for your funds in a single sig actually is the same as multisig while in multisig you have multiple entities so you can minimize the trust, right? Um, let me try and explain that a little more. So let's take a single sig and deconstruct it. So there are essentially just four, four key aspects to, to the whole system. So um, the first step really is different is the user would generate an entropy, right? That's the first step. The second step is uh, second part of it or the step of it is uh, how, how is that backed up? So there's an entropy, it is backed up. Then the third step is from that entropy, public and private keys are created, right? Uh, public keys are used for receiving funds and balance checking and all that, which we typically call wallet functions. And the fourth category is the signing part of it, which is done by private keys. Now, if you look at these four functions, these four functions can actually be performed by completely separate entities. Okay. Let's take an example. So entropy generation, you can use a simple dice roll or seed picker or something else to generate the entropy. It doesn't involve any wallet on any hardware device. You can use them as well, but that's an, this is an example. Then you could go away and store that entropy in terms of seed words on a metal seed plate, right? 
you could use a mobile device as a watch only watch only wallet with with the xpub and uh, you could receive funds on that while you could put uh, you know use a seed signer which is a stateless device you could put the seed in it every time you're signing in um, or using the seed qr and do the signing from that device so what you see here is that there are four parts to it which are completely can be handled in different ways right what happens in typical uh, typical wallets is some of these functions or a lot of these functions are combined together uh, in the simplest case i would have one app which does the entropy generation which does the backup which does the receiving part and which also signs the transaction that's the simplest simplest mobile app the most common what we see stephen is that uh, other than the backup all the three functions are combined in a typical mobile app so for example exa wallet exa wallet would generate the entropy you would store a copy of it separately and then uh, the receiving of uh, funds and the balance check and all that wallet functions and the signing happens from within the same wallet right so if you if you see these three fun three these four functions are combined in different ways to give rise to different solutions right in all of these situations uh, the wallet which is used for signing or which is used for receiving funds they are the places where you know there can be some some uh, you know attacks or there can be some vulnerabilities for example if uh, during the receiving part the wallet might simply simply you know change the receive address if you don't check it then the funds if i'm receiving funds from you i show an address that i think is mine but it is someone else's it's completely gone right so if hexa wallet you know shows you wrong address and you you know send money to that that money is completely gone now now uh, let's bring this multisig again the same four things happen in multisig but with uh, four of these you know uh, with the multiple of these keys combined now if these functions that uh, if there are different like uh, the example you took of multiple vendors now if multiple vendors are involved you could actually by following some simple thumb uh, simple thumb rule you can actually check that receiving address let's say in two of the entities and you're so much safer there is not a not a single wallet which can attack and change your receive address if you check the receive address on the wallet and maybe one of the hardware device it will be really difficult for someone to actually collude across those two those two systems and you know steal your funds so i am going into the real details of it but if you really abstract it way back up again the trust is the you really can minimize the trust across multiple vendors and multiple locations and multiple platforms if you use a multisig instead of a single sig right and i think that's a really important point to understand and when we have multisig it just gives us this whole new level of being able to check things and so for example we can design things in such a way and i know you know stepan is not as uh, stepan snijerev he is not as uh, you know actively contributing in the space nowadays but i think he was popularizing this idea of how can i make a wallet or something where even if the coordinator was lying it could you know or how can i set something up where if even one of the devices is lying i'm still safe and so in a multisig context it gives you that fault tolerance right because now the coordinating software, whether that's, you know, Spectre, Desktop, or Sparrow, or it's, you know, Unchained Capital, or it's Nunchuck, or it's Keeper, which at whatever that, even if the coordinator app is lying to you, if you're checking that transaction on the device, or in the case of receiving, you are checking your receive address on the actual device, then you are a whole 
another level safer because it's much harder for somebody to compromise you and steal your coins. And then this becomes very valuable once we're talking about your life savings or even for a corporate context or a fund or a trust or any of these business entities or other legal entities that that need that have a very high security requirement. So I think it's such an important thing, but some of the main hurdles, let's say, that for most people, what would you say are some of the main hurdles that people have to using multi-sig? Like, so I'm sure you've had many conversations with people who are probably doing single sig or just single sig with a passphrase. What kind of excuse do they give you or reason do they tell you, oh, this is why I don't want to do multi-sig? Yeah. So, like, uh, uh, Stephen, there is definitely a learning curve, right? Um, there, there is a learning curve when you come to Bitcoin. Self-custody itself is a learning curve. And within self-custody, multisig is definitely a, a you know, steeper learning curve than just... Because there is a lot of education available around, you know, how to back up seed phrases and how to use a simple single-sig wallet. Um, and in a case of single-sig wallet, um, if you if you just listen to like a five-minute thing, you would understand. But in case of multisig, yes, it is operationally more difficult, right? You have to ensure more things. It does, but that does give you an order of magnitude better security, like we explained. It's simply impossible for um, uh, one key, one coordinating app to collude with another hardware manufacturer and maybe one more other hardware manufacturer, you know, somewhere across the globe to steal just your coins. So it's almost, it's, it is very difficult. It's sort of magnitude uh, difficult. So coming back to the problem, uh, to the hurdles is that this is, op- this operational difficulty is one, right? Um, and that is why it is very important that uh, uh, there is this kind of a guided process. It's not like you can you are trying to do it with a command line, but there is some kind of a wizard, some kind of guided process which takes you through different steps, tells you at every step, okay, what does this mean? Maybe do this, go into the hardware wallet at this particular place, and then then try to extract the expub or something like that. So if there's a guided process, yes, it will be slightly longer, but it will be handheld in such a way that uh, multisig, the operational part of it becomes not that much difficult. So that's one of the excuses I've heard. Not excuses, that's an... It's a reason, let's say, to be fair to them, right? Not an excuse, let's say reason. See, well, I, I was talking to one of the guys who was in um, in advertising. He's a very creative guy. He loves Bitcoin, he loves the idea of it, but he just doesn't have the time to, you know, understand multisig beyond... He, to get him on self-custody was a few years to get him on uh, multisig would maybe probably another few years, which is to be, again, to be fair to him, he is busy. He's doing his creative stuff. He's not really, it doesn't have the time or inclination to learn about multisig. So that is a genuine reason, but that's why products that we are, uh, you know, the we are building or a lot of people are building nowadays, the coordinating softwares are actually, you know, it's a kind of an assisted multisig. So that's one. The second is the cost. The cost is definitely a factor. So if you do a three or five multisig, it might be, you know, somewhere around $500 for you. Uh, that's the, that's probably a good three or five multisig. You, you can probably reduce the cost by trying out some combinations or using some soft software based keys instead of hardware based keys. And if you use some of these keys, it is, it is quite okay in terms of security. So, um, there is a cost to it. The costs can come down by, uh, you know, decent combinations. Plus, there uh, there are a lot of people, a lot of companies who are trying to build products which are lower cost, like tap signers, like Jade, like uh, there are a few other wallets, right? So, um, the costs are going to come down. So, these two, Stephen, are the main hurdles I've heard. 
and the coordinating software are trying to you know do assisted multisig while hardware wallet manufacturers are trying to reduce the cost so hopefully um, this is going to become easier and easier yeah and you know it may be it may be a question of another cycle or two for the multi-sig uh, user experience to get better and popularize this further i'm bullish on this though I, I do believe it'll come maybe in a cycle or two because once you have a lot of people who have a lot of v- value in, in fiat terms purchasing power terms it'll just be so much more applicable for them but i certainly appreciate that today there there are some operational difficulties you have to think about okay is it more difficult to use these different wallets right as opposed to just having one cold card or one device or whatever you're using now you might have to think okay i need to know how to use a cold card and you know a, a seed signer and a, a tap signer and a kobo or a keystone rather you know whatever pick your mix and not just that whoever is recovering your coins right because now we've also got to think about okay you or me anant you and i could probably figure it out like even you know a bit can our wives and kids figure this out? <laughs> you know, that's like that's like the the other level too, right? Yeah, yeah absolutely. And that that is where standardization really helps. Um, uh, if you if you talk about learning how to use different hardware wallets or signing devices, then uh, if it is a standard way that those devices work, it is much more easier, right? To, if you learn one of them, probably you can use another one. Same as you know, um, uh, using a phone. If you use use one type of phone, there's a good chance that, you know, with a little bit of learning, you can use another phone because they have been adopted a lot. And uh, there are some basic, uh, basic you know, assumptions or basic uh, capabilities that way that have been developed. So if there is a, there's more standardization around how these things are used, then definitely it's going to get easier and easier. Right. So we have PSBT standard. We have, you know, the BIPs. We have, uh, we have the, you know, more, very importantly, uh, product descriptors output descriptors and BSMS and all these good standards which are developing, which is going to make this learning uh, easier because you, if you learn it for one device, you will probably know it for another device. So that's that all these things are coming together. Yeah, sure. And so let's talk a little bit about the multi-sig setup process, right? Just so people understand what's going on there, right? So let's just keep it simple, right? Let's just say it's a two of three with three different device types and we're coordinating that. What are some of the different steps involved to set up this multi-sig and operate that multi-sig awesome so let's let's go back to the deconstruction we did earlier right and it is going to be exactly the same first there is a step of generating the entropy in this case as there are three devices you will generate it in three different places now this itself is going to give you you know no single point of failure but let's say you have a ledger a cold card and let's say jade or a seed signer when you initialize those devices, you can use uh, you can use an existing you know like seed phrase you might have, or you can generate a new one from those devices. You can even add passphrase there. So now what you've done is you have three devices who have generated different entropy. Okay, so that piece is done. The entropy generation was the first piece. Now how do you back it up? You can back it up as a device itself. For example, uh, you know, you just want to take care of the device and uh, put it in a safe. And additionally, furthermore, you can actually put down those seed words in a written format on, on steel and keep it somewhere else so that the backup step, step is taken care of. Now you have three devices ready and they're backup secured. The two steps are done. Now what you would do is you would take those devices to an app like Keeper. You would create the multisig. 
right what what creation of multisig that really step means is multisig is not really created at that point but the but you your wallet has the capability of generating the addresses which can be signed with a script uh, which is a two of three from these three wallets right so what you would do is you would um, you would communicate with these three hardware wallets either through nfc or qr code and uh, pass on the xpub relevant xpub to the to the coordinating software now the coordinating software only has the xpubs which is which are the public key generators which is the public key generator it still doesn't have any control of the private key yep so just to be clear this is like there's a special menu in some cases right because it's not necessarily the same as the one that you would use for that device in single signature mode so for example in cold card you go into settings and you have multi-signature export i think it's in advanced or settings and in there you go to multi-sig export take that out into a sd card put that in and then the coordinator app has to sort of take all of those three right, right. So, so exactly. So, I think that's an important step because single sig and multi sig from uh, are different standards. So, it is good to you know use the right uh, ex, you know right expo in the right path. So, you would go into the settings and you would follow the steps to import these three expubs from these three devices, right? And when you do that, um, you can do that through an SD card in Keeper. You know, you can use NFC for cold card and stuff like that. So. That's slightly more secure and operationally easier. You don't really need another computer uh, to get in the middle. Um, so that's that's what you would do. Now, now your coordinating software has all the necessary pieces to make sure that you can you know produce addresses which uh, which can be signed by that script. Um, so that is the creation part. Now the sending part is uh, let's start with this Sorry, at this point we also do need to once you've created that multi-sig then we need to register the quorums into those devices right so that's the other step where you now the coordinating software whether it's spectre or sparrow or keeper will give you a little piece of information which again you either use with a sd card or you you do the qr scan back and forth and then those devices can now register and understand, oh, these are the other devices in my multi-sig. So let's say, you know, I've got this cold card and I know that, okay, there's a, a seed signer in my quorum and a keystone or, or whatever other device. And then you have to, well, theoretically, like if you want to be really secure, you want to check, oh, okay, and you can read on the device, these are the other XPUBs associated for this device. So you can kind of check everything, make sure it's all, you know, matching up. Yeah, so uh, so um, I was trying to explain the receive journey um, so that it is easier to understand why registration is needed. Right. right? So, so absolutely important, the registration step, but why it is needed is because uh, how does receive happen is the coordinating software takes these XPUBs completely independently of uh, hardware wallets and it will show you a particular receive address. And you would, uh, you, you know, one way of doing it, you just send uh, money to that receive address and you will have funds if the coordinating software is not trying to uh, be, you know, uh, be trying to steal your funds, right? But when you are signing it, when you're sending transaction in a, you know, in a happy case scenario, you would, uh, the coordinating software will build the transaction up right uh, using using the details that it has it will uh, construct a ps something called psbt which is partially signed bitcoin transaction is just a format of how a transaction is represented with additional data and then it uh, communicates again by nfc or bluetooth or qr code with these hardware devices right or signing devices and they would sign uh, these transactions 
Now, there are a few things which can go wrong here and that's why uh, you correctly mentioned the registration step. Now, because the coordinating software has the central role of combining the XPUB, it has the central role of receive, generating the PSBT, which, you know, um, a signing device would sign. What if the coordinating software is trying to cheat? What if the coordinating software is trying to manipulate these things, though it doesn't have the private keys, but it can manipulate the signing devices to sign the wrong PSBT or, you know, you know, give them the wrong address. So that is where the registration step is super important. And I think you described it well. Registration basically means the coordinating software is saying, by the way, this is the uh, policy, wallet policy or the or the multi-sig configuration I'm trying to do. Uh, do you want to store those details? And at this step, the user would look at uh, the details that is getting stored. They would probably call it cold storage or they would probably call, call it, you know, safe or vault or whatever they want to call it. And then they would store that in their signing devices. Now, what has happened? You have created multiple copies of the same configuration, right? So next time when signing or receiving happens, coordinating app cannot cheat you independently. You can always have, uh, you all, you still have three other entities that you can check and say, okay, there is something wrong here. So registration is a, a super important step, which, which lets the signing devices independently verify that, okay, you know, if, if coordinating, uh, coordinating app or any of the other signing devices is, is trying to cheat or not. So that's, that's the essential, you know, fundamental benefit of. Yeah. Right. And then, so as we're going through and we're checking, so, you know, just, re just making sure I'm summarizing everything. So we had our three devices. We've initialized all three of them. We, we either brought or did our own entropy or we used the device entropy to create a, a 24 word seed or a 12 word seed. Then we, ingest the, the multi-sig XPUB out of those three into the coordinator. Now the coordinator has the built together policy, let's say two of three. Now we register the quorum into each of those devices. So now each of those devices knows the other device. And then you, the human, should obviously be checking that and making sure, oh, okay, XPUB, okay, it matches to the other XPUBs. There's no lying here. There's no, you know, everything matches up. Everything's good. I've got my two or three. Yes, take that. And now... What's next? Well, now we can receive, let's say, a test, a small amount of coin into this wallet. And you can check that on multiple devices, right? Because some of these devices have an address explorer, which is really useful. It's a great feature because now you can, you can see it on device one. You can see it on device two and device three. Or, or maybe it, what you do is you would check a quorum of the devices, right? Maybe if you're running a two or three, you might check it on two of the devices, and then see, okay, on the coordinator, it's also showing me the same address. Okay, good. Now I can receive some coin into this address, right? Absolutely. So testing, uh, even if you, you know, buy a new car, testing it out first for, uh, for a trial run is always, there's nothing, that it, it cannot go wrong. So testing it the way you said is a, is a great idea and we recommend it. Um, and uh, testing it for sending and receiving and doing, you know, small bits here and there is definitely something users should do before they transfer more of their funds. There are a few checks these uh, that these signing devices do automatically. For example, the change address. When you're receiving funds, there is there is just a single address. But when you're sending funds, there is an address that you send to, but any of that change, because UTXO is like a single piece, that when the UTXO breaks, uh, a piece of it comes back to your change address. Now, there is a potential where the coordinating as a coordinating software just, you know, manipulates and puts their own change address. 
So this change address is something that any of the devices which have been registered properly can check automatically. The user doesn't have to uh, manually check it. That's a very neat feature and a very simple thing because uh, if the change address is incorrect, uh, the the say, signing device would simply not sign it. So that's a, that's a kind of a, a check under the hood that happens because only because there are multiple devices and you register with them. So that's pretty neat. Uh, that may not happen in a single SIG where you are just using a mobile uh, mobile app and you have just a, you have a seed phrase written down somewhere. So these are the these are this is an you know some of the additional benefits. Yeah, and the reason we mention this as well is because there have been some attacks like this disclosed you know historically. Now I'm not sure if the change one was necessarily used or exploited in the wild, but it was out, it was there for some time, and then obviously manufacturers found it, it got patched up, and so on. And so now there's a much better there's a much better awareness and understanding in the industry, and I think the products, the software, and the hardware are being built with this in mind right so that's that's there that's useful so what's next in the journey let's say so i think uh, if you want if you're really paranoid and if you really want to get to that level there's one more step you could do so what you've done uh, you have set it up you have registered it check the details that's like the theoretical checking of it then you've done a practical piece where you actually send around funds and you have checked whether there's those funds are showing up properly or not there's one more step you could do is basically uh, there are now multiple coordinating softwares available, right? Um, you know, initially there was only there was only Electrum, really. like Electrum. <laughs> That's it, nothing else. So you couldn't really know, and other were others were closed source, so you couldn't do much. But with the help of uh, you know, in the literally in the last year, there are many more. There's Sparrow, there's Spectre, there's Nuncher, there's Keeper. What you could do is recreate uh, the wall. Let's say you've created a two of three in Keeper. You could take the output descriptors, which we can talk about in a little bit, but basically the wallet conf- multisig configuration, put it in Sparrow, right? And check whether it is showing the same addresses. And when you're doing the testing at that time, also you can check the balance from Sparrow and from Keeper. You can try to send from Sparrow and check it in Keeper. So now what you have, you also have a redundancy or not redundancy, that is the right word, but multiple places you can check the coordinating software. Back to the show in a moment. Now, as we're talking about multi-signature, Unchained can help you with multi-signature. This is particularly important if you are a beginner and you need a guided pathway into multi-sig. With Unchained Capital, you can create a two of three vault where you hold two keys and Unchained holds the third key. Now, they can guide you into this process. They have a concierge onboarding program. You can pay upfront. They will ship you some hardware devices if you need them. And they will do a call with you and walk you through that process. And Unchained have a really easy platform to use, which is perfect for you if you are a beginner and you just need some help to guide you through this process. They also have an inheritance checklist, which comes as part of the concierge onboarding program. So this can help you in terms of having things like a step-by-step checklist, letters for the executor or trustee and other things. Go to unchained.com slash concierge to get this. And finally, coinkites.com are my favorite producer of hardware signing devices most notably the cold card but they have a range of products and gear that you will find really handy with the cold card obviously it's it's one of the most popular bitcoin hardware signing devices you can use it in single signature or you can use it as part of a multi-signature and it has all these features that really make it easy for you to do that so you can register the multi-signature quorum you can check the addresses on the device which gives you some more security you can initialize the whole thing offline without even connecting to a computer so there's just so many features and it's such a reliable and versatile 
player that you can use as part of your Bitcoin security setup. So go to coincard.com, order your cold cards and other gear there, use code Levera and you'll get a discount on your cold cards. Now back to the show. Yeah, I guess it's just an extra layer of verification, right? And certainly these are things that you do when you uh, set up your multi-sig, right? And so I think this is a great way for people to give themselves that peace of mind as well, because this is one of those things that's really kind of crazy, but it's this idea that the keys can be ported are portable in a way that you can take the key, like theoretically, I could have set up that same key in like a, a Trezor, but then import it into a cold card and it's going to sign the same way. It's going to, you know, it's going to sign the same coins in a way. So that's kind of useful. And that's a step that, you know, people are doing to help verify, okay, my access to my coins is, you know, or another one that people might do is do a test recovery, right? Like, let me send, you know, $30 into this multi-sig and then just practice, oh, I've lost one of the devices or I've lost this other thing. Can I recover? You know, have I, do I, have, I, do I have, have the right pieces together to be able to recover if something goes wrong? And then this can give you that extra peace of mind. Oh, okay. I was able to recover. Okay. I'm, I'm safe, right? Exactly. And the best part, Stephen, is that um, um, every single user doesn't have to do this. If a lot of users have done it initially or, you know, some users do it uh, regularly, then if any of these pieces, if any one of the coordinating software, any one of the hardware devices doing trying to do something funny, they'll be caught. So the incentive to actually try and steal funds when there are a lot of entities involved is actually reduced. So this is the very, very key part. See, the, one of the things in Bitcoin we know is the security is also because of the numbers, right? Because there are so many private keys possible, it's not easy to guess them. It is not the same scale, but the idea is if, if you have multiple entities, then you can minimize trust in any one of them. You don't need to trust a coordinating software. I can use another one. I, I don't need to use a signing device. I can use another one, right? So as these things develop and we have like 12 or 13 signing devices available now, five or six coordinator apps available now. So this becomes easier and easier and people get more and more confident about it. There's a lot more talking about it a lot more education than goes about it people who are listening to this podcast might you know come back with questions they might feel slightly more comfortable so things are converging with standards with the ecosystem and with education and i'm like you like like yourself i'm also very bullish on multisig yeah yeah and so let's talk about spending now so let's say i've set up my two or three and now i want to send some coins to you anant so i say anant give me an address i'm going to pay you you know 0.01 bitcoin or whatever what steps do I go through? Perfect. So if I give you an address and you have a two of three multisig setup, the first thing to do is to check that address. Uh, I probably have, you know, I'm showing it, showing it to you on a screen or I have, you know, uh, message you that particular address. So when you, when you, you, when you put that address in your coordinating software and uh, the coordinating software would probably take, you know, produce a PSBT transaction, you would take it to your first hardware device, right? On that hardware device, the first thing is to make sure that you check whether that send to address is correct or not. Right? That's the first step. The like I said, the change address is automatically checked if that particular device is registered. Right? Yeah. So these are the two checks that happen during sending if all the devices are registered. So all you have to do because they're successfully registered, if you have chosen the right wallet from the from the signing device then these these are the these are the checks that happen and 
I think maybe it's also... So, obviously, in this case, it's a two or three. So, I'd have to go and... Let's say I have one device at home and then another device in a vault or some other location somewhere... I have to go to that other location and uh, do a get the signature from that device or from that you know, signing device to get the second signature, bring that back to you know the coordinating application. So in this case, if it's Keeper or Spectre or Sparrow, whatever. And then once I've ingested that second PSBT uh, signature, then it'll say, ah, this transaction is now valid and you can broadcast it, right? Absolutely. Yeah. I think you have, you have explained the user steps really well. So those are the checks that happen at one place, but then you take it to another location. The same kind of check you can do there. You can check the receiving address at your you know, office or any other location you have. Then you port it back to the coordinating software. Now the coordinating software, because a specific transaction has been signed and there's no way to for the coordinating app because it doesn't have the private keys to change it. You can let the coordinating app, uh, you know, uh, broadcast the transaction. Right. And I think one other point just on practicality that might be useful for some people, I think I've been, because I've been playing around with devices for years, right? So I think for me, in practice, I have found there are times where QRs can be difficult, right? So because the QR flow, like as an example, if you're, it depends on the device you're using. Sometimes the resolution is bad or the, the camera on the other device is bad. And so one tip that I found useful is if you can have the QR scanning device, that could be maybe your home device. And then if you've got like one that's in a vault, as an example, and, and you might have a mix, right? You might have a mix in your quorum. And so then the devices in the vault, maybe they can be a little bit easier to have a micro SD for signing because they are a little i think it depends on the flow right it depends on the coordinating app and everything but if you just have a micro sd card and you're just going into the vault area or into an office or somewhere then maybe it's a little easier to kind of get the signature done because if you're kind of out in a remote location and you're trying to scan the the qr and the signature is not working and or you know things like this where you know it's it can be a bit difficult right so i think in that case, it might be a little easier. Now, of course, there is NFC as well. So there's NFC devices, things like, uh, you know, the, the tap signer is an example. But I guess there is one downside with devices like the tap signer is you're getting less... Um, yeah, because it's you can't check the addresses on this thing. You can't... There's less that you can check about the transaction. So, you know, there's, there's trade-offs with all of these things. It is a cheaper device. But um, it, I guess if you're storing serious serious money well then maybe you're going for the device the the bigger devices with a screen and with a keypad and things like this um so those are a few tips i guess that i would just offer for listeners as well when you're thinking about if you're crafting your own multi-sig yeah okay so let's talk a little bit about the backups and the output descriptor and bsms can you decipher a little bit of this at least current state of play as we talk you know today's the 31st of january 2023 what's the current state of play with multi-sig and backups See, one thing, Stephen, I want to mention because you touched on a very important point. Uh, when you are keeping something in the safe and you want to use SD card versus QR code, one of the things people forget is uh, some of these devices used to not have a battery, right? Uh, so what you don't want to do is actually get that device back into your home and then do the stuff and then take it back, right? So if you have it in a safe, it is not a bad idea either that you know most of the new devices that's why they have some kind of battery the new ledgers the jade they have battery or if you have like cold card that requires a battery this it's not a bad idea just carry the battery with you so carry the battery and sd card with you 
you know, just do the piece there either through QR code or SD card and then come back. Do not carry the sign you don't have to carry the signing device back you know you can keep it back safe right? right yeah so just to explain there so the idea here is let's say we've got a two or three multi-sig and you're storing like a big amount of coin on this or whatever the whole point is to not have to have like okay yes at the start when you set up that quorum yes all three devices can be in the same location because you haven't put any coins on there but once you put coins on then you don't want to bring them back together because theoretically, you're vulnerable at that point, right? Like if a criminal or a, someone comes to, you know, try to attack you at that point, you're vulnerable. Yes, even at creation, actually, because the way PSB in multisig works, it's not really interactive that way. You can actually not have them at the same location at any point of time. Right, yeah, of course, right? yeah. So even by creation, you can do one, one import in, you know, office, yeah. one import at your home, one gotcha. import at yeah, the yeah. bank. Oh, I mean, I was just saying more from a practicality because you might want to, let's say you want to set it up and then test recovery, test with small amounts before you separate the devices and put them into, you know, different locations, one in the mountain, one in the, you know, one in the vault, one in the office, one in the, you know, somewhere. So I think that's probably where I was saying that just from a practicality point of view. But then once they, once you put the coins on there, like serious coin on there, then you don't want to pull them together because now... You know, that's where the risk is. Um, so anyway, we've spoken about that. Let's get back to the backups question. So, you know, typically this means you save a PDF or an output descriptor or BSMS. Can you tell us what's the current state of play there? Yeah. So um, so why why do we need these, these output descriptors or uh, world configuration is because even if you have two of the three keys, you cannot recover your funds, right? I just want to repeat that. In a multisig, if you, let's say in a 305 multisig, uh, it doesn't mean that if you have three of the five keys, you can completely, uh, you cannot, com- you cannot even recover any of your funds. The reason being is that, okay, you have the three keys to the safe. Let's imagine an analogous safe, right? So you have three keys of the safe and you can open the safe, but how do you find that safe, right? How do you get to that safe? That is the map, uh, you know, in that terms is what the world configuration is. And that vault configuration or the multisig configuration file contains the map details or it basically contains the other public details of the other keys that you would need to uh, need to unlock your funds basically or get access to your phone. Just, just to want to be clear why uh, multisig configuration files are so important. Now that is where uh, things like output descriptors and you know BSMS and all these things come through. So output descriptor is a, is, it's a very neat standard. It takes care of uh, all the different aspects of uh, what a configuration means. Configuration doesn't just mean the export, it also means the path and the script type that you're using and stuff like that, right? So that is what uh, forms the output descriptor in a simple sense. I'm not uh, getting into time log and multisig yet, but that's an output descriptor. And if you have the output descriptor and if you have the minimum number of keys, you can definitely access the firms. If you have three keys out of five and you have the uh, multisig configuration file or output descriptor, you do not need the other two keys. That's the importance of it. Output descriptor is a format uh, which uh, a lot of wallets use. Uh, now, uh, there, like I said, there are multiple pieces in there, uh, like the XPUB, the path, the you know, master fingerprint, um, the uh, script type. So these are the part of output descriptor. Um, I would say... Um, an improvement to that is the BSMS, which is Bitcoin Secure Multisig Setup, I think. But BSMS essentially has the output descriptors, uh, uh, given a specific output descriptor template, but it also has some other details. 
one very neat detail that BSMS has is actually it has uh, the first address of the multisig, right? Uh, I, I really like this part and why that is important. So let's imagine you have these five devices. Uh, one of the option after registration Stephen, is you go away and check all these five devices for all the experts, all the paths and all the derivations and this and that, right? That's one way of doing it. But alternatively, what you could do is you could, if it's a normal multisig, you can just check the first address, right? Because the first address is a derivation of all these components. So if the first address is correct, uh, or is it it's matching across the five devices, then there is no way they could have changed one of the XPUBs or they could have changed one of the paths because they will not get the first receiving address. So by checking one piece, you have che you have actually checked multiple of these uh, multiple of these items, right? As you were mentioning, the BSMS has the first address, and so you were saying that basically because the first address is going, it has to be the same. Then it's, I guess you're saying that's the reason why you find it useful as a wallet developer when you're coding or making and building this, right? Even from a user point of view, instead of checking for like five different things, because they have to check all the cosigner experts. So they'll have to check five experts, plus they'll have to check the five derivation paths, plus they will have to check the five, uh, you know, script types. Because any of this going wrong will mean that it's a completely different vault. So if instead of that, what you could do, in a simple case, there are complex cases where that doesn't apply. But in a simple case, what that means is if you check the first address, you essentially have checked all the input parameters to the first address. So if I check this one address across the five device, I know it is the right registration. So these are the kind of, you know, uh, improvements that are happening from a standards point of view. And that is why I said, you know, standards are leading towards a better UX in the multisig space. I see. Yeah. Okay. And so... Let's talk a little bit about Keeper then specifically. Let's talk a little bit about some of the... Oh, sorry. One other thing. So with this whole output descriptor, BSMS, I guess the important point just for people to remember is that you can keep multiple backups of this. Now, yes, it impacts your privacy, but it it, it helps your redundancy and your, uh, your ability to recover if something goes wrong. So this piece, this output descriptor, the BSMS, the wallet configuration file, whatever it's called... Make sure you have multiple backups of that. You might even think about having a copy of that with your lawyer or someone who you're doing inheritance planning with because it'll be essential as part of the recovery process there. So that's just something to keep in mind. One, one other thing you could do with those files, is, uh, which is very practical, is uh, if you have the signed devices, let's say in a safe, you can keep a copy there. If you have like three devices in three safes in three different locations, just keep one copy with each of them. So even if you yeah get a USB put one in yeah or you can just like have it in a you know in a PDF or something so that's a that's a very practical way of doing it what some of the hardware wallets also are doing Stephen is when you are registering this is very neat when you are registering you are actually giving those details to the hardware wallet so example code cold card lets you export that back so now I don't need to store. Uh, another copy of the vault configuration with a cold card if it's in a safe. I can use the same vault configuration from cold card to, you know, uh, uh, get that back. So, you know, things are becoming much easier. You don't have to um, keep that separately, basically. Right. Yeah. So it's, it's even more redundancy then. So let's talk a little bit about the inheritance stuff because I know this is something you are looking at for Keeper as well. So, what's the plan there? So, so inheritance, the way we, inheritance can be looked in different ways, right? Um, um, a lot of, you know, uh, 
extreme uh, bitcoiners might say okay i don't care about uh, the legal aspects of it and i just want to make sure my coins are safe and i can pass it on some even believe that they just want to die with their coins and just you know donate it to the network uh, i am not of that opinion um i want to plan it for generations and i i you know a lot of people want to do it that way once you have a future generation that you can look at you would want to pass uh, that wealth on um for uh, for general reasons so uh, when you're doing inheritance planning there are two aspects to it one is uh, obviously the access to the keys and then the second is the right to have the keys right when it is about the right uh, it is the legal construct of your jurisdiction that you have the right to hold the keys a lot of time this aspect of the legal title or the rights to have the keys is missed out right uh, what we want to do with keeper is try to uh, we want to look at both these aspects and assist in both these things okay if you you know if let's say your partner is uh, is going to get the coins up if if something happens to you and you have told them all the locations where you know two of your you know three of your devices are then probably you know it's the access part of is easy but there is no reason that you know um, someone else after you are not there can claim that okay that person has access to it but actually that person is not the rightful owner then they would be in a mix and uh, you don't want to get them you know get, let them have, get into that kind of situation so that is why you know having your legal title clear it's very easy it's not very complicated is a very important way to secure things and make it easy for your loved ones that they don't have to get into hassle of first figuring out where the keys are and then also trying to prove that why you know those keys belong to them why you're the rightful owner or heir of those coins exactly so these are the two aspects what uh, keeper does is obviously it uh, tells you what are the safeguarding tips like we talked about using a battery using the sd card of how to secure your keys um and not just for yourself uh, you might remember the pin but what about if someone else your your you know um, your kids are trying to access would, would they know the pin so it gives you a lot of safeguarding tips of how to secure your keys not just for yourself even for future generations and uh, uh, that's the access part of it it also helps you identify those uh, that wall uh, that particular wallet or the multisig wallet in a very unique way so that you can you know put a simple you know part of your will that okay you know uh, I have funds in this particular multisig, and uh, this is how you identify this multisig. And anyone, uh, you know, this person X Y Z is actually the rightful owner of them. How I get, how do they get access? Can, doesn't have to be put in the will at all. So that you know, the, if you don't want to trust your lawyer or uh, the guy who is writing the will, you don't have to put the access part there at all. But you do have to put how how you can uniquely identify those things and how that particular fund belongs to the heir. Yeah, and I mean, there's all these privacy concerns aspects of it too, because there are people who might say, "I don't want to disclose, you know, how many coins I have or whatever." Um, so some of that is going to be a little bit. You have to find a way. So we have actually, uh, we have been actually, we think we uh, uh, we have found a way, and uh, we have been talking to a lot of lawyers and a lot of people in this space how this uh, makes sense, and we have got um, we have got great feedback on that. So what you put in the put in the will doesn't have to it doesn't have to be the experts you don't really need to put the experts you can put your uh, master fingerprint there you can put some other details there which doesn't leak privacy at all 
right? So there are some other ways of uh, establishing the uniqueness. Basically, what you want to do at the end of it is in the will, if there is an heir who is uniquely identified that this is the heir, this is their legal name, this is where they live or those kind of details. And you have uniquely identified or as best as possible, uniquely identified which funds, then essentially you can, you know, that's that's all that will needs. So uh, using using other methods, other you know, rather than putting experts, is uh, uh, is you know a way to get across that privacy issue. Gotcha. Yeah, and certainly uh, as I mentioned before, like some people might be comfortable with maybe giving a like an output descriptor to a lawyer, but other people very much not. Um, but of course, people should just listen. Should be aware there is a privacy consequence to that. So obviously, think that through. Some people they're not comfortable with that, and they would rather you know keep that away from the lawyer or away from those other locations and maybe that output descriptor is only backed up in a location that your family can see it something like that but you just have to also consider the trade-off of redundancy right the more copies of that out there the more redundancy and the easier it is for somebody to help recover in the case of that output descriptor information somehow being lost right because it's possible and we'd hate for people to lose access to the coins right so those are probably a few important points also, I guess there's some of the more advanced stuff that's coming, right? So I did an episode recently about Miniscript. There's been some discussion about Music too. Do you see applications for any of this stuff or is it maybe a bit early? It is definitely a bit early, but uh, we are keeping close look at it and we are very excited with Miniscript and Music 2, Frost and stuff. It is definitely early because as you would uh, appreciate, there are there are um, um, situations, not situations, the, there are still cases uh, in terms of when you're using a music tool or a, uh, you have interactivity involved there, which is not really uh, the best uh, thing when, when it comes to security. You don't want to really either bring the keys together or go to them multiple times, right? Um, neither do you want to inter- make them interact with each other. So there are there are some unsolved problems in that space. But, uh, you know, a lot of amazing people are working towards it. So that will probably um, get solved sooner or later. Miniscript has been, you know, actually Miniscript has been around for a while now, right? Um, And people often ask us, okay, why not Miniscript yet? Why not Miniscript yet? We have looked at Miniscript, we have played at Miniscript. But the practical aspect of it is, Stephen, is that uh, Miniscript uh, essentially generates a safe Bitcoin script, right? Miniscript is going to generate a safe Bitcoin script. However... Other than multisig, the safe Bitcoin scripts it generates with multiple spending conditions and multiple branches and all that is really, it doesn't really have that much of an importance when it's a simple multisig that can be done without, uh, with a simple script. But when it comes to multiple spending policies, that is when really like, like a two of three plus, uh, two of one of two plus time lock or, you know, some kind of a combination. That is when mini script really comes to the fore. Now, though that right now, but really there are three problems to it because Taproot is still not, uh, you know, Taproot or music is still not there, out there. So, so you wouldn't really be able to benefit that much from Miniscript right now as you would once these things are in place. So Miniscript can be used, but it is not effective without these other factors, right? So once these factors are there and then there, there's less interactivity, and the hardware wallets are, you know, able to showcase those policies on the small screen. These are unsolved problems yet. That is when Miniscript will really be useful. So we are looking forward to those kind of developments in the ecosystem uh, to be able to use uh, these advanced features. Yeah. 
any thoughts on time locks as well? Because this is something where, you know, people love to, I guess it's one of those areas where people love to philosophize and talk about, you know, this and that. And now Bitcoin does have time locking, like on-chain time locking. But I think practical uses of that outside of, let's say, the smart contracting stuff like Lightning, which is a different, you know, kettle of fish here. But in terms of multi-sig and stuff like that, do you, are you seeing much interest in this or much practical use? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There are a lot of people interested in time lock. There have been people, okay, are you going to do time lock? Are you going to do time lock? Yes, absolutely. Time lock is something which we have done internally. But the time lock and, uh, you know, we spoke about the registration and how you verify the details and all that. That particular piece is still not there for time locks. So you can implement time locks, but you would you may not have a particular signing device supporting it. Now, Ledger is working towards it and we are working with Ledger to see how we can implement it. But essentially, at this point in time, there is no real hardware support for time locks, right? So you might have, uh, I think, uh, again, from your podcast and otherwise, we know that uh, I think Liam is trying to use time locks, but there is no signing device support for it. And even if there is a signing device support, it will be without registration. So you are losing out onto some security to have some security. What we are trying to get towards with Miniscript and all is trying to get to a, a situation where you don't have to lose security too much to gain time lock uh, as a feature. Yeah, totally fair. I mean, the security. I mean, the whole reason why we're using multi-sig to begin with is the security benefits. So obviously, we're not going to, you know, throw that out the window. So yeah, I think that's important. Um, so I guess couple tips that maybe we should leave listeners with just make sure when you're doing your multi-sig you keep it simple right like don't do something crazy don't don't sort of stay in the well-trodden pathways i think there are good reasons to use the typical like two of three or three of five i think for most people unless you have a specific use case i think for most people two of three or three of five is probably going to be a good um quorum for people making sure you keep those backups, as we mentioned, the backup of the output descriptor or the BSMS. I think those are important points to remember. But yeah, I guess, do you have any other kind of tips on multi-sig before we finish that? No, I think it's a, just a, a quick TLDR on what we discussed. Like, um, okay, there are these three, you know, these two good configurations available and a lot of software wallets like Keeper offer that. So stick to that, uh, stick to that. Um, take backups, test it out, like we said. Um, test it out on multiple hardware hardware devices, any devices, and also test it out probably on multiple coordinating software like Sparrow and Keeper and uh, Spectre Wallet. And when you do that, you will be so comfortable because you're seeing three different things telling you exactly the same same balance and the same output. So it'd be like, yeah, uh, you know what? I, I kind of trust this, uh, this situation or this system that I've built. So if you do these things, these few things, um, then uh, you know multisig is not that difficult. Yeah, so I think I think it's worthwhile for a lot of people. Now, certainly not for the beginners, but I think for people who are, let's say, you're a long-time Bitcoiner, and you know you ha- your stack is worth a reasonable amount, it's worth your while, right? Like I think people lose perspective sometimes, right? Because they might be like someone who, you know, maybe bought some coins a few years ago or whatever, and the prices run up, and now they've got like. A, you know, over a million dollars worth of coin or let's say over 20, 25 coins in like a single signature hardware wallet or hardware signing device or hardware signer. And, you know, maybe it's time for you to think, hey, if, you, if you're if you holding, you know, over 20 or 25 coins worth, 
what's like a few hardware devices and some metal seeds? That's nothing for you, right? Like, so it's it's important to think about the perspective. Yeah, sorry, on just on that point, we did some, uh, you know, back of the envelope calculation. Um, but like I said, a typical multisig today costs 500, right? And let's say even if you have uh, Bitcoins worth $5,000, which is probably, you know, a quarter of a Bitcoin, a point two Bitcoin, depending on the price, um, that that will be, you know, something around 5 to 10% of the security cost. Now in, in Bitcoin, you know that uh, it can 10x very easily. And if it does 10x, then it will become like 1% of your, uh, 1% of your cost. Having a security cost of 1% to secure the whole amount is a decent security cost, right? So if you think about it in those terms and, ha- you know, put in some hours of effort, actually like, you know, you have orders of magnitude better security and the cost is not really high. It is 1% of the total amount potentially. So that's that's probably one way to think about it. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so I think that's the multi-sig aspect. Um, let's talk a little bit about Bitcoin for India. So I unfortunately couldn't make it uh, last year because of clashes and stuff, but I'm, I'm looking forward to being there. Off the top of my head, is it October 14th and 15th, I think? Yeah, do you want to just give us an update on um, Bitcoin for India? Absolutely. So this is, uh, this is the community piece uh, that some of us are involved in with uh, other volunteers, but uh, more than happy to, um, you know, uh, put it on this platform as well that, you know, uh, Stephen will be in person there and uh, there will be many other Bitcoiners who would be um, there who would be, you know, talking to plebs in India and uh, talking multisig, talking passphrase, talking a lot of stuff, um, you know, how to do, uh, how to do probably running a node. So it will be a mixed conference like, like it was this time. There will be a technical track and there will be a main track. Uh, but uh, we are uh, we are very excited about it and we are obviously uh, going to look for more and more participation this time from speakers and from audience so yes this is in october 14th 15th is the date as of now fantastic and in uh, bangalore right and so i i'm also uh you know it's been one year now like bitcoin it will well, it will have been you, you've already had the first conference you've been growing this meetup network let's say of more committed bitcoiners and so hopefully there'll be a, a, a you know a growth in the community by then and who knows maybe there'll be a lot of people joining uh the community between now and then so maybe they'll all be there as well so looking forward to that and uh yeah any any other points you wanted to mention before we finish up no i think uh, i think by the time this uh, probably the uh, the pod goes out the keeper app would be uh, available on mainnet Till now, it was on testnet. Um, it is still beta, but it is available on mainnet, so it's very easy for people to test out. So do give it a run, try it out with small amounts of small amounts of sats, and uh, give us some feedback. It is an awesome product, and uh, we hope you love it. Fantastic. Okay, Anand, thanks for joining me. Thanks, Stephen. Thanks for having me again. Cheers. I hope you found that discussion helpful and make sure to share this episode with any family or friends who are curious about setting up multi-signature and Bitcoin security. It's been a while since we've really walked through some of the details of this. Of course, I have those earlier episodes with a range of people talking about these things. Um, I will include those in the show notes also, but I think this one is a good overview episode for people who want to understand where things are at today with multi-signature. So share the episode and the show notes are available at stefanlevera.com slash 455. Thanks for listening and I'll see you in the Citadels.